don't know about you, but um, <clears throat> it sounds like um, some of you were struggling with some of those songs like I was. And uh, there's a sense in which those are the right songs to struggle with. Uh, to when you're, when you're singing about being broken and lonely and homeless and uh, hurting, desperate, uh, those aren't easy songs to sing. It, it reminded me of, of one I used to sing in uh, vacation Bible school and all that stuff. Um, see if I could do it for you, heavenly, heavenly sunlight, all of my journeys over the... Mountains through the deep vales, da 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 da. Don't you hate songs like that? You know, all of my journey, heavenly sunlight. No, uh, uh-uh. if I mean, if you could have every day to be heavenly sunlight, I'd sign up for that. I'd sell tickets to that. I mean, that's that would be awesome. But we and we can sing that song. It just bounces along. But the songs we just sang are songs of brokenness and struggle and pain. And I think that's a little more realistic to where we live. I don't know a single person in this room who all of their journey is heavenly sunlight. But I know many of you have had deep pain and you're still in pain. And you wonder if the pain will ever leave or ever go away. That's what Psalm 88 is about. I want us to look at Psalm 88 this morning. It's, it's a, you could call it a psalm for unanswered prayer. It's a psalm where you're living and you don't have it all worked out yet. That's what he's dealing with. Uh, it's, a, it's a psalm where you get exhausted and you wonder, you know, how's it going to work? Let me, let me just introduce it with three verses. Look at verse 6 first. Psalm 88, verse 6. You've put me in the lowest pit, in dark places, in the depths. Skip to verse 12. Will your wonders be made known in the darkness? And your righteousness is in the land of forgetfulness. And then the last verse, verse 18. You have removed lover and friend far from me. My acquaintances are in darkness. When, when I read verse 18, my spirit said, No, don't leave me with lover and friend and everyone I know is in the obituaries. Don't leave me there. And yet that is precisely where the psalm ends where you're in your darkest pits and you wish you could go to someone that would love you and be a friend, and when you go looking for those people, they aren't around. And you're all alone. You ever face those kind of struggles? See, this, this psalm is not the pretend Christian life. This is the real deal. This is where we live. There are times where... We might not talk about it that much. We might not share it that much. But we all live in times of unanswered prayer. There may be a financial crunch. And you know you don't have enough to pay the bills. And so you pray and you pray and you wake up the next day and you're still in that situation. Or you may have a problem child. 
You kept bringing them to church, but they never received Christ, and they just seem to be going wild, and it's getting worse. And you've stayed up, and you've prayed all night long, and they still aren't any better off. Or you may have a physical illness, or you may be in an abusive situation, and you cry out, and you cry out, and you cry out, and you get weary crying out, and you're still in an abusive situation, and you're still not healed. How do you deal with that? That life of unanswered prayer. And nobody you talk to seems to make it go away and it doesn't get any better. That's Psalm 88. It's not one you read, readily turn to and download. It's one that's there though and we need to know it. Um, I've had both. I've had days of heavenly sunlight and I've had days of deep darkness. And I suppose most of you are in that same boat. We need to know how to live both of those kind of days. Not just the heavenly sunlight ones, but the deep, dark days as well. So let, let's go through Psalm 88 together. The first thing I want you to realize is when you're in that time, like the song we just sang, keep crying out. Don't give up on prayer. Just because you haven't had answers yet, don't give up on prayer. Look at the first couple of verses. O oh Lord, the God of my salvation, I have cried out by day and in the night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. The psalmist is still praying. We've already found out how it ends. He's in a tough situation. He's in darkness, but he doesn't give up on prayer. We should not give up on prayer keep crying out and he talks about I, I cry out in the day I cry out in the night this is this constant hoping for an answer from God and that's what we should do it's not prayer is not a, a nice little routine here we have it as as the pouring out of our heart continually seeking God to answer you know when when you stop and think about it that way that pouring out of all of your heart to God, hoping desperately for an answer, you begin to see that prayer is not always just a little talk with Jesus. This is, this is not a casual kind of thing. It's not something you necessarily do with your friends. Uh, it's not, prayer shouldn't be sloppy. doesn't mean you can't cry out quickly, but it, it shouldn't be sloppy. Going to God is, is not like going to some casual acquaintance and throwing your feet on the desk and say, hey, let's talk. Why? Because God is holy, and you know that, and, and God's in charge. He's in control, and he can change things. And, and so you get this impression as you read these words that the psalmist is, is crying out, and it's very sincere. It's not sloppy. It's, it's, it's very um, deep to the heart. It's, it's something that... You want to, you're taking a lot of time with, and, and you're, you're requesting God, verse 2, incline your ear, listen to me. It's, it's this cry for, I really want to get through. I don't want to just say these words. I want to know that I have connected. Well, why should we persist if we haven't had answers? And you know, as, as I wrestle with that answer, why should we persist? Why, why keep praying 
I'm reminded of the words of, uh, of Peter when Jesus was preaching and, and, and Jesus was preaching on some tough stuff that you can't get to God except through him. You can't get to God, this is in John 6, unless God draws you there, unless he is the initiator, unless he determines to bring you into his presence, that can't happen. And that, that message was so difficult and so tough, a lot of the congregation just got up and start le- started leaving. So I don't like that message. We don't want to listen to that. And so they started leaving. I mean, this is Jesus preaching. And when Jesus sees the crowds leaving, he turns to his disciples, you know, just 12 of them here, says, are you going to go too? Because you're not getting the answer you were looking for. And Peter steps forward and says, to whom else could we go? Where, where else would work? Only you have the words of eternal life. I like that. I mean, if you're going to get up and leave, know where you're headed. Where are you going? I know people say, well, I don't, I don't believe that God stuff. I'm out of here. Well, I don't like that church stuff. I'm out of here. Okay, I get that. Where are you going? I don't know. And so you see these people just floundering around in life with no direction. If you're going to go somewhere, get a target. And Peter says, my target is eternal life my target is salvation my target is deliverance and if that's my target to whom else could i possibly go then the one who has those things in his possession great answer and that's why i say don't give up on prayer where else are you going to take this stuff where you could possibly get deliverance Uh, don't miss the the title he gives us for God here. I love this title. I'm going to start using it more in my prayers. Verse 1, O oh Lord, the God of my salvation. I love that. I need to be constantly reminded I am redeemed. He is the God who has saved me. And he is the God of all future salvation, all future deliverance. So maybe you need to Focus that way on your prayers as well, but don't give up on prayer. Who else could we go to that could truly save us? God's, now, God's not a robot where you tell him what you want to tell him and you just get immediate answers. That's the problem. And a lot of times we, we want God to be that robot for us just to give us what we need, but that's not the way God works. I gave you this passage uh, a while back, a couple weeks ago, and several of you said, I needed to hear that. And so I'm going to give it to you again. If you needed to hear it, you probably still need to hear it, or some of you might have missed it. But look at Luke 18. This is, it's, it's, it's one of those passages where you have to read it a few times to say, is that really true? But it is. Luke 18, 1 through 8, Jesus again preaching. He's preaching on prayer. and he's, let, me, let me just read the words. He says, now he was telling them a parable to show them at all times. So he tells you, this is where I'm going in my message. I want you to get to this conclusion, that at all times you ought to pray and not lose heart. That's another way of saying what I'm saying. You ought to pray and not give up on prayer. Because that, that's what this parable is about. And then he gives them the parable. Verse 2. 
In a certain city, there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. There was a widow in that city, and she kept coming to him, saying, Give me legal protection from my opponent. For a while he was unwilling, but afterward he said to himself, Even though I do not fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection, otherwise by continually coming she will wear me out. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? And will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? All right, so if Jesus were to come back today, would he find that none of you give up on prayer? He says, the parable is about not giving up on prayer. Here's a lady who did not give up. She persisted, persisted, and persisted with this judge, bothered him to the point that he was annoyed and said, I'm just going to give her what she wants to make her go away. He says, that's an illustration of how I want you to pray. I want you to pray, don't give up on it. Persist, persist. Bother God with it. You may think you're annoying God. Annoy God. When I come back, will I find you doing that? Because if I do, I'm going to say, yes, good job. I want you to pray as though you have no one else to go to. Don't give up on prayer. You can't find the deliverance you seek and need apart from God. Prayer is God's ordained means of deliverance. Sometimes you think, well, I've prayed. I'm tired of praying. And that's where Psalm 88 comes in. Don't give up. Keep praying. It's God's ordained means of deliverance. Second, he tells us not only don't give up on prayer, plea for pity and praise. Two things you want to be in this situation. You want to be pleading with God to see your pitiful situation and then to see your need of praise. First of all, the pity. Let me read verses 3 through 9. Notice how he's, he's just describing his pitiful situation. Verse 3, For my soul has had enough troubles, and my life has drawn near to Sheol. I am reckoned among those who go down to the pit. I have become like a man without strength, forsaken among the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, and they're cut off from your hand. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the dark places, in the depths. Your wrath has rested on me, and you have afflicted me with all your waves. You have removed my acquaintances far from me. You have made me an object of loathing to them. I'm shut up and cannot go out. My eye has wasted away because of affliction. I have called upon you every day, O Lord. I have spread out my hands to you. Let's stop. That's pitiful. That's pitiful. And that's the encouragement God has left us. Pray like that. Say, God, look at me. I mean, how bad can it get? I am beyond 
help. I'm, be, I, I, I'm in the grave. I'm in Sheol. I'm beyond, looks like deliverance. There's no friend. Nobody would want to see me. They loathe me. They don't want to even come near me. And God, it, it looks like you don't want to come near either. That's my condition. It's pretty bad. And he just goes on and on trying to describe it and show it to God. Now, why would we do that? Why review your miserable situation to God? Well, it wouldn't matter unless, suppose God was sympathetic. Suppose God cared. And if he cared, then your situation might just be something that moves God to respond. We sometimes forget how compassionate and caring and loving our God is when we're in deep, dark times. Uh, let me give an illustration from Judges. Look at Judges chapter 10. It's one of these verses that I just, I have to underline and circle kind of thing. I, I don't, there's just certain ones that scream at me, and this, this is one. Judges chapter 10. Verse, verse 7, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel. He sold them into the hands of the Philistines and into the hands of the sons of Ammon. They afflicted and they crushed the sons of Israel that year. For 18 years they afflicted all the sons of Israel who were beyond the Jordan and Gilead in the land of the Amorites. Think about that. God's anger, he's angry with his people. He puts his, his hand upon them. So they experienced great affliction for 18 years. So that's, this is a prayer that's going on at least for 18 years. Lord, deliver us. Verse 10, you see deliverance start. Verse 10, then the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord, saying, we have sinned against you, for indeed we have forsaken our God and served the Baal. So that's where it begins. They realize we have not been living right. We need to repent. We need to turn to God. We need to start praying. We don't need to give up on this. And then notice this in verse 16. So they put away the foreign gods from among them, and they served the Lord. And, and this is what I like to circle and underline. He could bear the misery of Israel no longer. Wow. You thought it was all about their repentance. You thought it was all about them serving foreign gods. And then you get to this kind of conclusion verse and you say, it's really about a God who says, I can't take it anymore. I can't see my people keep running away anymore. Let me give them repentance. Let me turn them back. I don't like seeing them suffer. And so share the suffering, share the pain, because we have a God who cares. Uh, another verse, Hebrews chapter 4, we, we use this verse a lot, but maybe now it comes home to you a little stronger. Let me read it, Hebrews 4, verse 15, says, We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. We don't have a God who doesn't care. 
He's moved by our agony and our pain and our darkness. And he delights in coming to our care. So share that pain. Share that darkness with him. I know there's plenty of people who don't want to hear it. But our God is one who says, give it to me. I know I'm acquainted with the suffering of my people. And there comes a time when I just can't take it anymore. And so I deliver. I save. I redeem. I pull you out. So pray for God to pity us. Second, Psalm 88 says, I only share my pitiful situation. I share the situation that I need to praise God. Verses 10 through 12. He says, will you perform wonders for the dead? Will the departed spirits rise and praise you? Will your loving kindness be declared in the grave? Your faithfulness in Abaddon. Abaddon's just a place of uh, abandonment. Verse 12, will your wonders be made known in the darkness and your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? So he, he's making an argument. Whether he uses the word praise or the word declare or make known, he's saying the same thing. He's saying, I'm dying here. And if I die, I go to this place. The Old Testament saints really weren't sure so much what happened at death. There's this intermediate state. They, They called Sheol or Hades. He says, if I die, I go there. I'm abandoned there. I hang out there, awaiting the resurrection that only comes when Christ comes. But I'm in this place of no man's land. We are thankful we're New Testament and beyond. We can be absent from the body and present with the Lord the same day. But this, this saint says, I'm in this state. I'm in the grave. I'm in Hades. I'm in Sheol. Who do you hear sing from down there? Who's giving you praise? Who's worshiping you? Says, we, don't, we don't hear any of that. Now, several things you need to, 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 to catch here that's, that, that's cool. Number one, it's not sarcastic. He's not saying, I'm just sharing this, it doesn't really matter. He's sharing it to illustrate Real pain. I need, I need help. I'm dying. Have you been, in, been there? You share that pitiful situation and it reaches this climax. I'm about to be cut off. Now, one of my most vivid memories when I was, had major lung surgery way back, back 79, I, I remember how bad I was to the nurses after surgery. I mean, I let them have it. I wasn't even a preacher yet. I was preaching. Everybody knows who's been through surgery, typically. The day after surgery is typically the worst for pain, depending on the surgery, but usually it is. And my surgery, you you take a human body and turn it up on its side, and they cut me from here all the way around to here. So you're on your side, and they basically cut you in half and split you open and pull the ribs back so they can get into the lungs and work on all that stuff. So you can imagine staples all the way around. I'm stapled together. I'm sewed up. 
all of these nerves have been cut, and that day after surgery, all that stuff starts waking up. And it doesn't just wake up. It screams, you know. And I, back in 79, I, it was in those days where you had to get an order from the, from the doctor for pain medicine. You've been in that situation? He said, I need pain medicine. And the nurse says, I'll put in the order. No, I need pain medicine. I'll put in the order. Before cell phones, folks, the, the doctors on the boat fishing or playing golf, I'll put in the order, which means he's going to check in every three or four hours. Maybe you get a little pain medicine. So I kept screaming for pain medicine. And I didn't get any. And I kept screaming so much that the order's in. Yeah, I get that. But I need pain medicine. They started bringing other nurses in, thinking maybe if two or three or more would gather together, the pain would be administered. You know, I don't know, pain meds. But it didn't happen. And after about three of them got in the room, I finally said, I started preaching. I said, I am unbelievably unimpressed. I cannot believe you would let take me three long weeks in this hospital, do all the things you've done, do all of this surgery, rack up thousands of dollars, and then just let me lie here and die. This is crazy. You know, but I think that's where the psalmist was. I'm dying here. And what good's it going to do? All that you've done in my life up to this point, are you just going to cut it off? Have you been there? Where that's the, the real pain you feel. And then notice what he does. He picks up on the chief end of man. And a lot of people still haven't got it. What is the chief end of man? It's to glorify God and enjoy him forever. He says, God, there's one thing I still remember, and that is that we are placed on this earth for the purpose of giving you praise. If you cut me off here, where does that go? Where does that leave us? The being you created was created to give you praise. If you cut me off, I can't do that. I can't give you praise. I won't be able to enter into the sanctuary. I won't be able to sing the songs. You won't hear my voice when you cut me off and put me in Sheol. What an argument. I love it. I wish we could all get there. That we understand why we exist. You know, he didn't make the argument, Lord, let me live one more day because I'm the quarterback of the football team and our championship game's coming up and I need to play it. He didn't say, Lord, let me live one more day because Grandmama's about to die and I want to see her before she dies. Lord, let me live one more day because of all these things we like to say. Lord, I need one more day for this. No. He said, I need one more day to praise you. Life is about your worship and your glory. And if you will let me live, I will live it for you. It's about praising you and adoring you. Are you there? Do you really get why God has you here? Because sometimes the dark trial is just to wake us up to that purpose. Why do we really exist? Why is it worth it 
to go on. See, this keeps us from despair and from suicide. We have an existence that matters if we have an existence of praise. And we are praising the true God. That's where the psalmist was. Man's primary function. It will move God to pity. It will move God to again come back to his unfinished project. Seeing his people give him praise. Well, then the last six verses. So don't give up on prayer. Pray for God to pity. Pray for God to give you praise. And then as I look at verses 13 through 18, I was like, okay, why, why God are these verses here? Just to re-encourage, remind, persevere on holding on for deliverance. Let me read them, verse 13 through 18. But I, O Lord, have cried out to you for help, and in the morning my prayer comes before you. Oh, Lord, why do you reject my soul? Why, why do you hide your face from me? I was afflicted and about to die. From my youth on, I suffer. For your terrors, I am overcome. Your burning anger has passed over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. They've surrounded me like water all day long. They've encompassed me altogether. You have removed lover and friend from me. My acquaintances are in the darkness. And it's the end. Why? Why those verses other than giving us this example of hold on. By faith, hold on. Keep trusting. There is deliverance. He's still speaking to God. And, and maybe just to remind us that this experience of what is seemingly the absence of God is an ordinary part of the Christian life. This is an ordinary Christian who struggles. And we're like that. And sometimes we think others don't, but they do, and we're right there with them. And he keeps struggling um, all, all the way to, to the end. You know, I, I remember talking to a lady in a wheelchair who, who told me she had been up all night praying. And, I, you know, I have some crazy thoughts in my head sometimes. And as soon as she said, I've been up all night praying, I'm thinking, what does this lady do but pray? I mean, goodness, she's in a wheelchair. It's a crazy thought. And I thought to myself, I didn't say it to her, why didn't you just pray before you went to bed? But it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. You need your rest. Pray and go to sleep. Don't stay up all night. And then it hit me. Well, sometimes, you know, we have said, just a little talk with Jesus makes things right, and it doesn't. And the reason it doesn't is because sometimes it's not just a little talk with Jesus that you need, but it's an all-night with Jesus that you need. Sometimes it's a long talk with Jesus that makes things right. And I think this lady understood that. He says, the reason I stayed up all night and prayed is because I needed that kind of time with God. I needed to endure with Him. I needed to persevere. I needed to hold Him that long. 
And that's why I think these verses are here to show us that sometimes it's, it's that long walk in the same direction, doing the same thing that we really need. And the psalmist describes it wonderfully, even though terribly at the same time. Uh, it doesn't mean that you're going to get quick deliverance, but I think it does mean that deliverance is certain to those who are truly in the palm of God's hands day and night. Deliverance may not come quickly, but it does certainly come. A good Christian can still be in the darkness, just like the psalmist. Only a Christian is bothered with the absence of God. The psalmist is continued bother, continually bothered by it. He's still holding on. That's what I mean. He's, he's still trusting deliverance. If you're a non-Christian, you don't care. You go on your way. But a Christian says, no, I've got to have God. And he continues to pray and seek God in this absence. You know, um, this psalm reminded me of, of the old classic movie, The Other Side of the Mountain. And if you haven't seen it, you probably don't have it on your download list because nobody liked that movie. It was a classic because maybe it was one of those first ones that didn't end the way we wanted it to, that showed us a glimpse of real life, and that made it a classic. But if you haven't seen it, it, it was about two lovers. They were engaged to be married. They're on the ski slopes having the time of their life. She's in an accident and is paralyzed from neck down. And her boyfriend, supposedly engaged to be married, he assesses the situation and says, I didn't sign up for this. We're not married yet. I, I don't think I'm cut out to live with a quadriplegic. And he leaves, and we're all heartbroken. I thought it was better for worse. And he said, yeah, I'm, we're not married yet. You know, he takes off. And so you have this tragic life of this, this gal who, who tries to pick up the pieces and move on. And towards the end of the movie, she finds another man who now, in her old years, says, I want to marry you. And we think, oh, it's going to end perfect. She's going to have all of her dreams come true. And then on the way to her house one day, he gets killed in an accident. Before they get married. And the movie ends. And we go, no. That's not the way it's supposed to end. You're supposed to live happily ever after. Have you not seen Hallmark? You know, it always works out. But sometimes that Hallmark movie is not real life. Psalm 88 is. It ends where it doesn't work out. And the only thing we've got left is to hold on, to be bothered by God and say, God, we need you desperately in our lives. Think about Christ on the cross. No better illustration. You can look it up. But I, you, you know these phrases. Christ is hanging on the cross. He's, he's there six hours, darkness, everything's going on. And at some point, the thief on the cross beside him says, you know, I realize you're the Messiah. You're, we should all be bowing down to you. We've sinned, you've not. And 
Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. Assurance. And then a little bit later, as he's on the cross, in great pain, the world has turned dark. Everything seems to have gone against Christ. He cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then just a little while after that, he says to God the Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Now think about that scenario. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why would you put your spirit into the hands of the one who has forsaken you? He says, you've forsaken me, and then he says, into your hands I commit my spirit. Really? Does that make sense? It only makes sense if you believe today I will be in paradise. It only makes sense if you have faith that God will raise you up. And he knew that. Into your hands. Yeah, this is miserable being forsaken by God and the whole world on the cross. But God is the one I still hold on to. He is the one who ultimately can deliver and raise me up, and us. That's where we are sometimes. We need to realize there's times where we feel abandoned and forsaken, and yet we still hold on to God, the God of our salvation, the only one who can secure us and deliver us, and he does that for his people. It's called faith. Faith is what? Hebrews 11.1. 1. It's the assurance of things not seen. It's the conviction things not see the, the assurance it's it's things hoped for i hope i am yours and you're mine and you will deliver and that's true it's the conviction well then i will be delivered i will be with god always if you're in the darkness of unanswered prayers a non-believer it's god prodding you you're you're you've got a foretaste of hell it's not going to get better it's going to get worse. So see, the darkness is God's prod saying, repent, turn from sin. As a Christian, if you're in that dark time, you hold on. You keep trusting. I will yet see salvation. I will be delivered. I will be resurrected. I will be made new. I will be glorified with Him. I will be in present, present in paradise the moment I'm absent from my body what a joy hold on trust you want a good psalm how about psalm 121 he never slumbers or sleeps he never gets tired never gets weary he always keeps and protects his own that's what we have faith in that we have that kind of god who's going to deliver us so as you think through psalm 88 remember darkness is not abnormal you may be there, you're going through it. You may, been, you may have come out and you may be going back. Christ is preparing us for rest and for peace. Non-Christian, see the foretaste. See your need for Christ. Believer, see your need not to give up on prayer. Plead with God. Stay up day and night pleading with God. Show Him your pitiful situation and give Him your heart to praise. So God is nothing I want to live for more than your praise and your worship. Keep trusting in him. Let's pray together. 
Father, as we read a psalm like this, every fiber of our body wants it to end.